The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. How is everybody on this uh, beautiful Saturday, January uh, January 4th, <laughs> 2020? I got to get used to the, the new date, the new year, 2020. Um, welcome to the show, folks. Um, we've got uh, some great guests for you, as usual. We've got, uh, first of all, we've got Mr. Uh, uh, Mark Krikorian, from, uh, the, who's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. He's going to be talking to us uh, about the impact of immigration on the uh, apportionment of House seats in Congress. Now, this, uh, this uh, show that we've got today for you, my friends, is going to center around the, uh, around the, uh, the 2020 elections. Mark wrote, has written a, 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 a very interesting article, along with Camardo, also from... Uh, from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies, they've written some articles regarding the apportionment. I mean, the the uh, political gains that um, Democrats are going to be having uh, because of uh, of immigration, both legal and illegal. And uh, you, you need to hear his explanation because it's it, to me it's rather chilling. Because I don't think that uh, Republicans, I don't think that anybody has the uh, strength, the the fortitude to uh, control immigration anymore. I really don't. Uh, I think this whole idea that we, we owe the world something uh, and it's not Christian to, uh, to, to uh, keep people out of the United States, that it's not American to be anti-immigration, uh, you know, that is really, really playing big uh, on the egos and minds of a lot of politicians. And they're afraid uh, to, uh, to stop immigration. They're afraid to stop illegal immigration, let alone regular immigration. So uh, this, uh, the, the, his comments are very, very interesting. Then we've got Miss Laura Presley. Now, Miss Laura Presley, I cannot say enough good things about, about, about her. She is a local hero here in Texas. Uh, she uh, is uh, the director of True Texas Elections. And uh, she is constantly lecturing, constantly fighting uh, for or, or against election fraud and voter fraud. And there is a difference. She'll tell you about it. Voter fraud, election fraud. And uh, she's going to be chatting to us about, um, you know, what we need to watch out for uh, in the 2020 election. Uh, then finally, we've got Mr. David Emery, who is the uh, Atascosa County uh, GOP chairman. He's recently elected. David is going to be talking. I, I, I reached out to him because I wanted to talk to him about uh, any kind of local strategies and what he views as, uh, as important uh, for getting the vote out in 2020. Uh, there are lots and lots of uh, county GOP chairmen across the state who uh, are, are wrestling on how to get the vote out. You know, they're both in small communities and in large communities and how to get people to the vote, to the to the to the ballot box. Uh, folks, I cannot emphasize how, stru- how how important it's going to be for people to get out and go vote. And uh, this whole issue that um, uh, that somehow. Uh, your vote doesn't matter. This whole that myth, my gosh, my friends, don't think that. Don't think that. Uh, we have seen over and over again in the Rio Grande Valley how uh, people have been arrested, have been imprisoned for voter fraud, uh, how elections have been questioned constantly uh, because of people illegally voting, uh, illegal aliens voting. And uh, we are seeing now how... Uh, you know, there is a real effort by the Democrats to, uh, I will, I'll call it this way, I'll, I'll, exp- I'll describe it this way, as cheapening the vote, cheapening it by letting anybody and everybody vote. Just like, uh, again, if anybody and everybody gets to vote, what does the vote mean then? How, how special is the vote, folks, if anybody and everybody gets to vote? I mean, it, it cheapens the vote. The vote is supposed to be very sacred, and it should be only for people who uh, merit that worthiness. Citizens who are lawful, citizens who are legal, 
citizens who are involved in their community, who have stake in the community, who have a, a dog in the fight, so to speak. If you don't have that, uh, that uh, qualifier, if you are not, uh, if you don't care about the country, if you don't care about your community, then you don't care about your vote, my friends. You don't care. You know, it's anybody and everybody. And that's the, that, that's the sad thing. That is, voting is very personal. And people will vote to serve themselves. And if people are not, don't care about anything other than serving themselves, if they don't care about the defense of the nation, if they don't care about uh, morality, then that's, what they're, that's how they're going to vote. Okay? So, enough said on that. Let me, go, let me, let me do some, uh, some quick um, uh, news uh, for everybody, some quick Im- some immigration news. First of all, there's the, uh, there was a, a local uh, r- report uh, by a, a uh, local uh, media, news media outlet called the Rivard Report here in San Antonio, and it was going on and on about uh, how DACA is panicking, how the uh, possible ending of DACA is causing a... a, a uh, a lot of the DACA recipients to freak out. Well, you know, and of course they're blaming Trump, Trump for that. Who they ought to blame, my friends, is, is Obama for creating a, a, a fake false uh, program and in turn creating fake false aspirations and, 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 uh, and uh, hopes for these folks. That's who they ought to be blaming. You know, they, it, Trump is doing nothing other than doing what's legal and what's, what's important. Then, of course, there was an another, there was a the situation recently where there was an, a, an American doctor um, that was uh, apparently uh, doing business in Mexico. Uh, he had a, den, a dentist, uh, uh, what you call it, a, a dentistry, a dentist, in fact, and, any, and uh, apparently he got, uh, he was the victim of, of a carjacking. And uh, sadly, instead of surrendering his keys, he was murdered for it. And, uh, it, 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 you know, again, uh, there is a, a, an advisory, a travel advisory that has been issued uh, in, into northern Mexico. In fact, on, um, uh, on Tuesday night, uh, New, Year's, New Year's night, uh, there was a, a big shootout. There was a big shootout in uh, Nuevo Laredo, which is uh, just the other side of Laredo. And, uh, you know, there was an, an advisory that was put out by the, uh, by the sheriff of Webb County on the Laredo side uh, about people going across the border, advising them to stay away from, uh, from uh, don't go across the border into Nuevo Laredo because of the shootout that was going on. Uh, you know, my friends, it is dangerous. It is extremely dangerous uh, across the border. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not just the Mexican side. There were two reports this past week uh, in, in, on the Canadian side where... Uh, uh, there's more evidence that illegal immigration is not just on the southern border. We should be uh, we should be aware that there's uh, that b- the border patrol is arresting people uh, on the on the Canadian side, on the, or should I say, on the Canadian border. That uh, there are Mexicans, my friends, Mexicans that are crossing over uh, from Canada uh, into the United States. And again, this is happening because they recognize that it's going to be it's getting tougher on the southern border, so they want to come in through the northern border. But again. Once they're in, uh, we don't punish them as much as we should. We've got to punish bad behavior or else it'll continue. We've got to punish illegal immigration or else it'll, it'll, it'll continue. And right now, I think all, the, all we do is excuse and justify it and then reward it. Then there was, uh, there was also um, uh, a report from the Canadian border about uh, people from the third world, uh, not just Mexicans, but people from the third world, uh, people from Bangladesh, from I- India, from Pakistan, who are being stopped at the northern, at the northern border. And again, my friends, this, again, the, uh, immigration law enforcement is not just about Mexicans. It is for anybody who tries to enter the United States illegally. That's who it's about. Okay, it, it's not. You know, I'm tired of hearing this this cry from the uh, from the from from folks that uh, somehow uh, that it's somehow just aimed at Mexicans. It's not. It's aimed at anybody, anybody, and everybody who enters the country illegally. Then we've got another sad situation, my friends. Another sad situation uh, where there uh, where, where that shows that we've got a criminal alien problem. Uh, the border patrol in um, in Arizona in Nogales. Uh, arrested a guy named Manuel Toledo uh, Gabara, uh, who has been convi- who is a s- convicted sex offender. 
uh, when uh, he, he and, and he's entered the United States several times illegally. The records reveal that Gavera, a uh, 41-year-old Mexican national, was convicted of uh, sexual assault in uh, of a minor in Cook County in Chicago in 2004, and that he was sentenced to five years in prison before being deported to Mexico. Well, he, uh, he was deported, and here he is back in, back in, in, in business, back in, in, in the United States again. My friends, got to do something. Got to do something to catch them, because if they wouldn't have caught... I mean, the, the question that we've got, my friends, is, the, is how many don't get apprehended? How many people don't get caught? Then finally, there's this sad situation. I mean, terrible situation, my friends that uh, Border Patrol agents, two of them uh, in the Laredo sector, were attacked this uh, past week. Two of them were attacked by illegal aliens. My friends, illegal aliens, not just the cartels. The cartels are dangerous enough, okay? The cartels are dangerous enough. We have seen many instances of them crossing over with guns. But now the illegal aliens themselves are getting aggressive, they are getting desperate and aggressive, and they're being emboldened. Okay, they're being emboldened by by uh, uh, people that uh, uh, these these uh, uh, lawyers that come running along and try to defend them, like the ACLU. These people are getting aggressive, and they're getting desperate, and they are attacking uh, the, the border patrol when the border patrol tries to uh, to uh, arrest them. Democrats excuse and justify illegal immigration. And that, all that does is just embolden these illegal aliens, my friends. We've got to do something about it. We cannot, we cannot allow illegal aliens to come into the country and beat up our law enforcement folks, my friends. We cannot allow that to happen. That, it, 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 I, I cannot emphasize how much we've got to, uh, to stop that. Just end it before it, we, it, it, it gets any further. All right, folks, then uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and then we're going to go to our first, uh, to our first uh, interview. Thank you for being with us. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. Welcome. Tell the people, tell uh, your friends about, us, about our show. Tell them to uh, dial in. We'll be right back. Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP. 9.30 a.m. radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, a uh, very interesting uh, gentleman who is our in, uh, first ho- uh, interview today. Uh, this is Mr. David Emery. And David is the um, recently elected uh, chairman of uh, the Republican Party in Atascosa County, just uh, south of San Antonio. And uh, I wanted to, to reach out to him because uh, now that it's uh, 2020, we are uh, all getting ready for the elections, and I wanted to find out, since he is a chairman, a county chairman of the Republican Party, uh, I wanted to get his uh, views of what's uh, going on with the party, uh, or with the elections, rather. So, uh, David, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Um, tell me, tell us, uh, what, um, uh, as far as you can see, what, uh, you know, how do you, are you viewing the elections for uh, 2020. How do you view them? Well, uh, first of all, hi. Thanks for having me on the program, George. Uh, I'm excited about being the new county chair in Escosa County. Uh, I'm really pumped up about the coming elections. Uh, I'm very positive uh, about the elections, both at the uh, the county and, and state and national levels. Our president's done a good job. Uh, he's got the momentum going, and uh, I, I feel very confident that we're going to keep it going. 
And, of course, my job is to do my part here in Aroscosa County to uh, make sure that we have success at the election. Yeah, and, you know, that that's an interesting point. Uh, tell tell the folks what does a county chairman do? What 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 is, what are some of your uh, what are some of your duties to uh, as a county chairman of the Republican Party? Well, uh, I am the the chairman of the party here in Oscosa County. We're not a very big uh, county, uh, forty thousand plus people, but uh, my job is to promote the party uh, in the county, to grow the party, to encourage uh, all Republican. Uh, voters in the county to vote, first of all, but also to be involved, uh, not just to vote, but to volunteer, to get out and talk to friends, neighbors, and family about the issues, about the state of the county and the state of the state, the state of the nation, and um, to uh, do their part, as the president says, to keep America great. Now, we know that uh, that South Texas has been a, a bastion, a, a, a an absolute... Um, uh, bastion of Democrats uh, for the past 50, 60 years, uh, if not longer. And, um, you know, so you've got a challenge uh, in, in growing the party and in getting people to the uh, to the polls. What are some of the positive things that you see as far as the party goes at the local level and at the national level? Well, first of all, uh, what you said is true about most of South Texas being uh, very strongly Democrat. The good news for Alascosa County is that we are traditionally, a, uh, at least in recent history, a Republican county. Uh, we have uh, very strong uh, people serving right now in the county. Uh, I think we control all but maybe one of the uh, uh, elected county uh, positions. And uh, people are excited. Uh, people are pumped up. I talk to people around uh, my little town of Lytle. And uh, we talk about uh, national issues and local issues and uh, they seem to support the traditional Republican values. So I'm uh, very excited about that. Uh, we have good candidates uh, running here in Escosa County. And, and, of course, when we look at candidates either to vote for them or to encourage uh, people to run in various positions, we look for candidates who have good, strong morals, uh, candidates who love America, who support the Constitution, and who want to work hard to keep America free. Uh, that's I've kind of made that my slogan. I'll be running uh, for election in March, as now I'm, I'm, I was elected by the uh, um, committee here in Escosa County to fill an unfulfilled term. And my motto is working hard to keep America free. Um, and that may sound strange today because we are the land of uh, freedom and liberty, but with encroaching socialism coming from the left, uh, I think we all need to work hard to uh, keep America free from socialism, which leads to communism, and that ultimately leads to slavery, and that's the opposite of freedom. So I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by what the president's doing, uh, by good party workers, by good volunteers. Um, Stuart and Marion Knowlton, Carolyn George, and the precinct chairs here have done an excellent job of building up the Republican Party, and I've got some pretty big shoes to fill as I move forward into uh, this election year. Yeah, with with San Antonio and Bear County, who are very heavy Democrats, right? Uh, do they uh, do do the politics here in San Antonio influence uh, Atascosa County uh, at all? Oh, I think it, they can't help but influence. Uh, you, know, you listen to the local news, and, and you get uh, you know the Democratic spill. But um, we're an independent bunch down here because we are population-wise, smaller. We're more spread out. The southern part of Atascosa County is uh, uh, sparsely populated. Lots of ranches and farms and things, just not a lot of people. Uh, so uh, I think we have our own mind down here. Uh, we're influenced. Rather than being influenced, I'd say we're concerned about uh, people maybe from uh, San Antonio, Bear County, moving down here to get away from the congestion of the city and bringing their Democrat ideas with them. <laughs> So that would be the that would be the big concern. That would make sense. That's like every, that, all, all of Texas is worried that the Californians are moving in. <laughs> right. Uh, we don't want a California eight Texas. Well, we don't want a Bear County eight uh, Alascosa County. So <laughs> I'm going to work real hard to keep this strong Republican momentum going here. That's it. That, that, that that's very very interesting. So um, what uh, what do you have any plans? I mean, do you have any any kind of uh, of uh, plan or or uh, 
to uh, you know work on on the uh, 2020 elections to get to recruit people to uh, get volunteers uh, is there any kind of game plan for you well uh, first of all the candidates are all in place right now so there's nothing we can do there um, the big issue the big uh, thing that I'm going to do to uh, get voters out is uh, of course to promote the party and we're going to do that through our web page uh, we have a web page now and that's at uh, Um And it's a page that we've had up and running for a while. Uh, I'll be getting with all the candidates uh, starting today and ask them to send in their bio resume, if you will. And uh, we'll trim those down and edit them out and publish them on our webpage. So anyone, Republican or Democrat, who wants to know about the Republican candidates uh, running in the election, they can go to our webpage and uh, compare and contrast. Uh, the good news in that area is that the um, the uh, state Republican Executive Committee just approved uh, over $100,000 uh, to be used statewide to um, uh, allow every county to have a website. There are some counties right now who don't have their own websites uh, to promote uh, Republican issues. So uh, they're going to... Uh, allow them to have websites. They're going to hire a uh, web page um, expert who will be able to help build the pages. They're going to send out templates uh, and give training. So uh, we're going to use the web page. We're going to promote the web page and try to draw people to it uh, so they can know everything they need to know to vote smart in the coming election. Uh, of course, we're always looking for volunteers. Um, we ask around as much as we can when we talk to people and they seem interested in uh, political issues, especially the Republican viewpoint, uh, we ask them. Uh, we try to be bold and, and just say, hey, you need to volunteer. You need to get out and get busy. Um, so uh, basically that's what we're going to do right now. And my part, personally, because of my uh, preaching and teaching background, uh, I'm going to make myself available for every speaking opportunity I can get at uh, Lions, Rotary Clubs, VFWs, church groups, whatever, uh, to talk about the importance of voting and the necessity of voting for good, strong, moral Republican candidates across the board. Yeah, we've we've seen statistics where, you know, here, like here in Bear County, where uh, elections draw barely uh, 14% of the uh, of the registered voters, and that's, you know, uh, you, that, that's terrible. That's a really, really terrible statistic. Well, I, let me just throw a very interesting thing in here. Uh, I don't know if you know. Uh, we tested uh, countywide voting in the uh, last uh, election that we had here, the, the local election, and it worked very well. Uh, this was our test run to see if we would implement it uh, in future elections. And uh, uh, it increased the, the number of voters over previous elections by almost 3,000. Wow. So, uh, and in our small county, that's big numbers. That's right a big there. number, yeah, really. That, that's amazing. Because uh, it works so well, it's been approved, and we'll be doing countywide voting, and that by itself, believe, is going to uh, increase voter participation. It just makes it easier for people uh, to get to the polls. You got it. David, here in the last uh, minute uh, or so, uh, what, what would you uh, like to share? Is there anything specific that you'd like to share with the folks uh, regarding uh, uh, the upcoming elections in 2020 uh, on the state, local, or national level? Yes. Uh, I would say absolutely. Voters need to be informed. They need to be smart. They need to do their homework, do their research, find out about the candidates and uh, their uh, qualities and also the issues. The good thing is we have the internet today, and almost everybody has a computer in their home. A lot of people have the internet right at their fingertips on their phones. There's no excuse to be ignorant walking into the voting place. So um, be smart, and when you, when you look at the Republican candidates, unfortunately not all Republican candidates were created equal. Uh, some have stronger moral values than others. Some have a stronger love for the Constitution uh, than others. So uh, know, know your candidates. And check them out. And we will put contact information on our webpage for the candidates. So I would encourage all the voters, if you have a question, uh, some concern, you're not sure if you want to vote for a particular candidate or not, 
give that person a call, send them an email, and find out where they stand. Uh, an example, uh, very quickly, I lived in Bulgaria for eight and a half years before moving back here to Texas in 2016. I was teaching English at the American University, but I wanted to stay active in voting. And um, this was during the election where Ted Cruz first ran for Senate. And I didn't know any of the candidates, so I looked them up. I found their bios online, and most of them sounded good. And then I, I read what uh, Ted Cruz had, and he talked about his strong uh, religious faith, his uh, moral values, his love of the Constitution, love of American freedom. And I said, boy, he's my man, and I voted for him, and he's turned out to be a, an excellent senator. <laughs> we got to go. Uh, thank you very, very much for uh, taking time, David, to, uh, to be with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. We've been talking with David Emery, the uh, chairman for the Atascosa County uh, Republican Party in Texas. And uh, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got a very, very special guest with us, uh, Miss Laura Presley. She is uh, president of Texas, uh, let me make sure I've got it correct, Texas True Election? True Texas Election. True Texas Election. And uh, she is, uh, in my opinion, foremost uh, authority, the foremost authority on uh, voter fraud and election fraud, particularly election fraud. And she's uh, been campaigning, she's been talking about it all over the place, and I wanted to get her on to uh, chat with us uh, since the elections are uh, are coming up pretty quick here, since we're going to have uh, national and local elections. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. Well, hello, George. You are just wonderful. Thank <laughs> you for all that you do, all the education, all the spreading of the word that you're, you do out here. You're an angel on this earth, and I'm so grateful. So thanks <laughs> for having me. Thank you very, very much for those kind words. Let me ask you, first of all, let's talk about what issues or what issue do you see as the most challenging when it comes to uh, election fraud and voter fraud? What, what, what do you see as the biggest headache? Good question. You know, there's two terms, and you're very good at this, George. You understand this, and, and I want to just kind of lay this out for your listeners. There's uh, voter fraud and there's election fraud. Voter fraud is when voters vote when they're not supposed to, and it's fraudulent. But election fraud is more broad. And we spend a lot of time, the mainstream media, and um, a lot of us really, because we understand it, because it's easy to understand the election fraud component. When someone who should not be voting votes, uh, votes at a poll or someone who votes multiple times or whatever, that's easy for people to understand. But here's the deal. When we talk about that kind of fraud, that is minor when you talk about computer vote counting fraud. So if you can push a button at a main computer down on election night at the main county office where all these votes are electronically computerized, counted, if you can push a button and 100,000 votes get moved from one candidate to another, that's a big deal. And we spend a lot of time with the mainstream media, and you know we'll talk about the onesie twosie illegal voter that gets prosecuted in Dallas County or something like that. And that's important because that takes away our constitutional rights of of the voters. When someone illegally votes, they're canceling me out, and that's not good. But from an engineering and big hitter standpoint, numbers standpoint, when a button can be pushed on a main computer that's tabulating these votes. And 100,000 votes get changed, and no one has to show up at a poll to do it, that's a big deal. And that's the stuff I focus on. Let me ask you this, because this I, I just read this yesterday, that apparently uh, in Midland, Texas, uh, they found a box, <laughs> a box of votes uh, regard, uh, related to a, um, a uh, school district bond that just took place uh, about two, three months ago. Uh, uh, did you hear about that? I actually am helping them with that. I am. <laughs> I think that's amazing. I mean, that's that's in, in, I, that is shocking. That is shocking. It is shocking. So here's here's the deal. And I was I worked with their their um, there's a pack that was opposing this bond in Midland, and I worked with them really early on. Where on election night, uh, 
you know, votes were tabulated, and then some military ballots came in, and then we had watchers down there. We had trained watchers to be down there in Midland. And the watchers said, uh, uh, excuse me, there's some ballots here that were never counted. They could tell because of the way that the stuff was laid out. And oh, I couldn't believe it, that these watchers down there actually caught this. So the bond supposedly, the first time it was tabulated and our watchers were in there, the bond failed. Then they did a recount, and the bond passed, and then 800 electronically counted ballots could not be located for the recount. And so weeks later, somebody coughs up a box of ballots. Oh, this is where they went. And this is my point. <laughs> oh, my God. When, a, when an electronic computer tabulates a certain value, and then you actually say, well, let's go count the paper ballots that are there, and they just don't match up. This is my point. When you're th- in, in Midland, 800 electronic ballots that supposedly were tabulated, they could not find the paper for. And this really should scare the pants off of everybody in the state of Texas, because when these electronic voting machines and the paper trail that's supposed to back them up don't match, that's very concerning. Wow. That's what? what I'm talking about. It's the computer counting fraud that's the biggest hitter in this state of Texas. And what can be done? What can people do? I mean, what can citizens do to combat that? You're, you're great. This is great, George, because here's the deal. I have, over the last, oh my gosh, four years, three to four years, I have worked with candidates across the state of Texas, and I'm going to say 12 to 15 candidates that actually approached me and said, Laura, hey, I think my election was stolen. The electronic count doesn't seem right. My polls showed me winning. What's going on here? So I did the research. I did the statistics, and I said, yes, you know what? It looks like there's some fraud that could have happened. There's issues. You need to challenge the election. And George, not one of them would do it. Why do you think that is? What, what is the fear? It's a great question. We have a state senator that if I said his name, you would know who it is, okay, who we filed a criminal complaint. We, we were we – were, we were, it's a state senator from Dallas, all right, a former state senator. And we showed him all the evidence of the electronic – votes were replaced, votes were deleted and added back in three or four times. This is in Dallas County. All of that. We showed him all of that. We had a donor who was going to pay for the contest, and he would not do it. And, and he said to those of us that were working so hard on this to try to help him, he said, it's not in his best interest. My goodness. And we said, you know what? It's not about you. This is about the voters. This is about our election system in the state of Texas. When the candidates, George, will not stand up, I don't know who they are, who they that do this, they that steal the elections. I don't know who they are. All I know is if they know that the candidates won't do anything about it, it just keeps happening. You know, and I, I not only is it in big urban areas, but I worry also about small communities because... Um, oh, absolutely. Midland. Midland's not a big county. Right. Midland has 44 precincts. Houston has 1,000. Okay? So Midland is small potatoes compared to Houston or Dallas or San Antonio, but they all have the issue. I, not all, every single county in the state, but I'm going to tell you something. I've seen, I've seen issues in Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio. I've seen it all over in the big, big cities. And now Midland, Midland's a mid-sized, small to mid-sized county, okay? Stuff's going on there. So this is shocking. So what do we do, George, if there are no candidates that will stand up? All right, I challenged my election. We went all the way to the Texas Supreme Court. We were vindicated at the Supreme Court of Texas. Okay, but if other candidates will not stand up, it just continues and continues and continues. So here, here's here's the here's a solution that's come up. I was approached in Dallas County, uh, a voter in Dallas County, a couple of voters, and they said we don't think this bond passed in Dallas. There was a billion dollar bond that um, was in an election in May of this year, last May, and they approached me and said, Lord, this doesn't make sense. These results don't make sense. So can you do an anal- a statistical analysis on this data? I said, yes. So I did, and I came back, and I said, oh, my gosh, there's enough discrepancies in Dallas County in these election results that could potentially invalidate the complete bond election. It was a billion-dollar bond election that supposedly passed. And so but here's what's interesting. A voter in Dallas decided to contest the election. Well, looky there. 
no candidate needed, George. Excellent, excellent. No, no cowardly candidate needed. Gotcha. So, so we've got a contest now in in Dallas County that's moving forward. I'm an expert witness on it. We've got this Midland issue who um, they're considering a contest. No cowardly candidate needed. You know, we've got this situation like in... Voters have to do this, George. Here's the deal. Yeah. Voters have legal standing on bonds, on propositions, and all of this is nonpartisan. Right, right. You got it. So they've got to, we've got to encourage the citizens to stand up if they feel that there's a, there's a problem. We've got to sta- get them to stand up. We're the only ones with standing, with legal standing. You know, and I'm not encouraging people just to file lawsuits. Just for the on. heck of it. Yeah, right. But you've got to have, you've got to have an analysis. You've got to have witnesses. You've got to have evidence. You have to have all that stuff. Yeah. It's and, like a normal case. Uh, and this is a serious issue. So, but if candidates won't do it, and they're the ones with the funding, that's okay. right. That's right. I'm saying, I mean, consider this: if you, if there was a candidate that that person's election was stolen, the candidate was stolen, the election was stolen, and you block locked and you phone banked and you gave them money and they won't challenge, would you ever give them money again? Exactly. Right. Never. Never. Why? Yeah. Why put money in a car you just wrecked? Exactly. That's exactly right. Let me ask you here. We've only got a couple of more minutes, but let me ask you real quick. There is a real, real effort across the country, particularly in the big liberal uh, states like New York and California, to um, encourage illegal, to get illegal aliens to vote. Do you see a problem with, uh, you know, with, with, with this situation, uh, it, it, this, these folks uh, being allowed and encouraged to vote? Absolutely. And so, and, and I'm going to tie back into this electronic corruption, because here's the deal, George, if this happens, then I would it to you that those people will not be showing up at the polls, but what they will be doing, these corrupt election um, administrators or whoever's hacking this, I don't know who's doing this, whoever's doing this naughty business, okay, with stealing of elections, they're just going to use those people as buffers. They're going to use them. They may not even show up to vote. That's right. That's but they're right. on the rolls. They can use them to be backfill, just to, just to get the 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 propaganda message out there that, oh, now everybody's a Democrat, okay? Yep. All these illegal voters, they, they, they would have, they're always going to vote, you know, Democrat. I don't believe that. you got to block, walk, and phone bank them just like everybody else. That's right. That's exactly right. My concern is they're going to be backfill for this hack. Mm. That's what I believe. How sad. Laura, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. i got to get you back on as the election uh, season continues and, and heats up so you can give us an update of uh, what you see going on and what, what we need to do. But for right now, you let's encourage people to get out and challenge uh, the, uh, the elections. If you feel, if you've got the evidence and if you feel that, that's, uh, that it's merited, get out and do it. That's right. And I'm here as a, as a support um, to help people with, with, these, with these issues and you know, true Texas elections, this is our mission. We want electronic counting, whatever the counting is, to be legal and accurate, and we're here to help. So we're here if you need something. Thank you very much. Bless you, my dear. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas on KLUP, 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Hi, folks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on uh, KLUP 930 AM radio, uh, welcoming the new year in with uh, a new guest, uh, Mr. Mark Corian, who is the executive director of uh, the uh, Center for Immigration Studies in D.C. 
And uh, I wanted to reach out to uh, Mark and his organization because, um, well, because they're preeminent, first of all, in their, in their research on immigration. But secondly, they recently, there was a recent publication from, uh, from CIS regarding the impact of immigrants, both legal and illegal, the impact of immigrants on the apportionment uh, of Congress. And when we talk about the apportionment of Congress, we're talking about uh, the seats the new seats being a, a, a portion to uh, to states, uh, as well as uh, the amount of money that goes uh, into these communities. So, uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time for to be with us. Tell us about this uh, this uh, study, very interesting study that you guys did. Well, uh, every ten years, obviously, the census. When they do the census, they reapportion, as you suggested. In other words, reshuffle the number of seats in the House of Representatives that each state gets. Every state has to have one, and then the rest, they divide up based on population, and obviously, over a 10-year period, some places gain more people, some places lose, that sort of thing. And that's important, not just because of the House, but also electoral votes are based on how many House members the state has. So it's very important, um, this reapportionment, as they call it, every 10 years. What we did was not try to get what the result of reapportionment will be. In other words, how many seats in the House each state will have once everything's said and done. What we did was estimate, and it's a pretty close estimate because the census is just next year, in a few months, or this year, what am I saying? Um, trying to look at what the cumulative effect over many, many years is of all of these immigrants moving into certain states not others. In other words, if you took out immigrants or immigrants and their little kids, or however we looked at a bunch of different scenarios, how many House seats and electoral votes would states have? And what we found is that if you took out all immigrants and their minor children living at home, in other words, all immigrant households, and then just redid the reapportionment that way, so mathematically you take them all out, 26, tw- uh, tw- 26 states, no, 26 seats would be different um, if the immigrants had never been there to begin with. Almost all of those uh, seats that didn't, that were in certain states, would have been in states that voted for Trump in 2016. In other words, immigration increases the political path in Washington of the states where immigrants go because it's the number of house seats is based on just how many warm bodies, not how many voters or how many citizens. And so just a few quick examples. California has will have next year 11 more house seats and 11 more electoral votes than it would have had had immigration not happened. And Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Ohio three key states in the election would have had fewer. Uh, No, I mean, would have had more. They have fewer because of immigration to other states. Pennsylvania would have had three more electoral votes, Ohio and Michigan each two more, except for immigration. So the point of this is not, okay, let's not count immigrants. We have to count everybody. The Constitution requires that. The issue is What is the long-term political effect of immigration? And what it is, is it strengthens blue states at the expense of red states. It's something Republicans need to keep in mind when thinking about immigration, all immigration policy, not just illegal. And and let let me ask you this, because it seems to me... That they also, I mean, not only is is there an impact on the national federal government, but uh, on state governments as well. Because here in San Antonio, for example, here in Texas, should I say, the uh, immigrants, of course, the uh, immigrants, both legal and illegal, uh, gravitate to uh, the urban areas. And increasingly, the urban areas are the urban communities are getting more apportionment or getting more seats, uh, which are usually Democrats. And uh, even though people don't vote uh, in the numbers they should, they are being represented, and thus uh, they are uh, getting uh, more blue 
uh, seats. Is that uh, a trend, do you think, on, on, on state levels as well? Absolutely. I mean, we didn't look at it within the state because that's a, you know, that's a whole separate kettle of fish, but it's exactly the same dynamic. And what you see, and you see this probably most starkly in California, but it's, you see it in Texas as well, is that when, the, when redistricting happens within a state, so for state legislature, state legislative seats, it's the same dynamic. Immigrants are all counted. Everybody's counted. And so the, the places, like you said, urban areas in California, you know, Southern California gets it more even than anywhere else in the state. They have more seats in the state legislatures than they would otherwise. It's the number of seats is the same, but there are more of them in places where immigrants go to. And this is actually a dynamic we did look at at the House district level. So when you look at a, house, a congressional district, they all have about the same number of people. That's what they try to shoot for. But in districts that have lots of immigrants, they have far fewer voters. So what you end up with is a voter in, say, a uh, district in Houston or in L.A., an American citizen who's voting, has a much greater voice in his in the government than an American citizen voting in, say, Ohio, because there are fewer immigrants in Ohio, but there's the same number of people. So that, I mean, I'm trying, maybe I'm not explaining this clearly, but there's way more voters in districts, say, in Ohio or Pennsylvania yeah. than there are in a district in L.A. or in, say, the Houston area. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, to, uh, to uh, paraphrase that, we have a community here in Texas, uh, Fredericksburg, that it's just north of San Antonio, that is very, very conservative, very, very red. It is a community also that has less than uh, 20,000 people, I believe, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe 40,000. I'm not sure, but it's a, it's a small community. They are not, not going to get a, uh, represented by as many people as uh, Houston or San Antonio. And so, therefore, their one representative is going to get outvoted uh, by the two or three in San Antonio, who uh, are being, who have, uh, uh, who are representing not only citizens but non-citizens and non-voters. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just to put it in concrete terms, um, a state representative from a district with few immigrants, say in the town you were talking about, um, may well have gotten the same number of actual votes total as two representatives from districts that have lots of immigrants and therefore few voters. Yeah. So essentially the same number of people in, say, Houston voted for two representatives, whereas it took that same number of voters to select one representative in a district with few uh, immigrants. So it really is, it does call into question the whole concept. Exactly. And one vote. So what what do you think the solution is other than just to count and appropriate uh, and, and, a, and a portion by uh, citizens rather than by people. I mean, that's, you know, people have suggested that. Uh, it's, the Constitution seems to be pretty clear that apportionment is supposed to be based on the whole number of free persons. That's what it says, the whole number of free persons. The reason it says that is that slaves were counted, three-fifths of slaves were counted, which is something the slaveholders wanted to increase their political heft because the slaves couldn't vote but they were counted for purposes of apportionment. So the point is, it's not clear that you can count only citizens. People have suggested that it's something that would end up before the Supreme Court. I'm not confident that could win. The solution is a longer-term but more durable solution is you have less immigration. Uh, and it'll take time for that to work over the years, but Congress needs to consider the political fallout of the downstream political fallout of immigration, as well as things like effects on the labor market and security and what have you, which are important, but they also need to think about the political consequences. And let me only say that the Democrats are already doing this. The Democrats are open, on the record, talking about how they use immigration as a political tool increase their power. Barney Frank, the congressman from Massachusetts a number of years ago, one of the smarter ones on the Democrat side, also more honest, he explicitly said 
immigration is, you know, going to help them get uh, more power in the House of Representatives. Other people have said the same thing. The problem is Republicans don't play the same game. If Democrats are using immigration as a politi- for political purposes, Republicans have to play that game. And there's all kinds of non-political reasons as well to have a more moderate level of immigration. Look, we cut immigration in half to 500,000 people a year from today's 1 million. Not the end of the world. It's still more than any other country in the world thinks. That's right. Yet, it would dial back the long-term political consequences and allow people to assimilate, start allow immigrants over time and their children to vote more like the rest of the population. There's still going to be a lot of Democrats, but there'll be maybe less lopsidedly Democrats. Uh, and the problem is Republicans don't understand, don't even realize what the game that the Democrats are playing even is, let alone playing that game. Amazing. Mark, we've got to close here, but uh, you have been so eye-opening. <laughs> this is amazing. This is very, very good. We need to get you back on the show again and chatter with us a little bit more about the other research and the other stuff that you guys are working on. Tell the folks how they can follow up on uh, on, on uh, CIS, where they can read more about you guys and, and support you. We're, uh, we're online at cis.org, the Center for Immigration Studies, so it's cis.org. We have a blog with new postings every day, all our research is there, videos and what have you. And uh, for people who have a taste for snark and sarcasm, I'm on Twitter at Mark S. as in Stephen, Mark S. Krikorian. And I tweet there pretty frequently, um, especially if I'm trying to procrastinate and I have something to write. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on our show. Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of uh, uh, Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you very much. George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP, 930 AM Radio, The Answer.